UTC right after the international news. Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. I'm John Tanzan, Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Wednesday, October 26, 2022. Military officials in South Sudan say floods have prevented the graduation of the unified forces in unity in Upper Nile states. In Upper Nile, around two areas were affected by floods. The ones at Tokoge uh, and Lelo were transported to Malakal. And Mom had been affected by floods as well as Kaljak. And the U.S. ambassador to South Sudan says he is concerned about ongoing violence in some parts of the country. We are very concerned by the subnational violence in Upper Nile, Community State, uh, in Wadap, and in other areas. Uh, concerned above all about the impact this is having on South Sudanese people. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A senior U.S. diplomat in South Sudan says he is very concerned about the ongoing violence in some parts of the country. Michael J. Adler told South Sudan in Focus that he recently met President Salva Kiir to discuss challenges of subnational violence in the country, as well as broader issues pertaining to the bilateral relationship between the United States and South Sudan. For VOA News, Deng Deng reports from Bor. U.S. Ambassador to South Sudan Michael J. Atlas says his government is very concerned about the ongoing subnational violence in Upper Nile, Unity and Warab states, as well as the ABA Special Administrative Area. Ambassador Adler says he recently met with President Salva Kiir to discuss challenges of subnational violence in the country as well as broader issues regarding the bilateral relationship between the United States and South Sudan. We are very concerned by the subnational violence in Upper Nile, Immunity State, uh, in Wadap and in other areas. Uh, concerned above all about the impact this is having on South Sudanese people. The humanitarian implications of the subnational violence are, are, are significant. I myself had the opportunity to see this firsthand when I visited Malakal and met with a number of displaced persons. So it is a grave concern to us. Adler says after witnessing firsthand the humanitarian situation of residents in Malakal of Upper Nile, he realized that something must be done to end the conflict. I visited Malakal. I went to a protection, the protection of civilian site where I met with residents, USAID implementing partners, as well as some of the UN personnel. This deepened my understanding of the many challenges the residents face, and it brought home to me in a very direct way the impact of subnational violence on the South Sudanese people who live in the areas affected and the absolute need to do something to address it. Atla reaffirmed U.S. support for the South Sudanese people and noted the need for the South Sudan government to improve security conditions in Upper Nile to alleviate the human suffering there. Last fiscal year, we provided over a billion dollars in assistance. And since the independence of South Sudan, 
USAID alone has provided over $8 billion worth of assistance to help the South Sudanese people. And our commitment to the South Sudanese people is as strong as ever. President Kiir's office said in a press statement that the president has assured the U.S. ambassador his government has taken serious steps aimed at finding peaceful solutions for ongoing subnational violence in the country. The statement, published on the Facebook page of the presidency, said the president explained how the government has already dispatched security forces to the areas of communal conflicts to stabilize the security situation in those areas. The government has also sent prominent intellectuals and elders specific to those areas to initiate peaceful dialogue and reconciliation so communities can peacefully coexist. It also noted that Kiri called Unity State Governor Joseph Muntuil back to Juba to verify facts found by an investigative committee the president appointed after the commissioner of Mayom County, James Chol, was killed, leading to extrajudicial killings of four rebel soldiers. Officials have reported a fresh wave of violence in Unity State and intercommunal violence in Upper Nile, Warab, and Western Equatorial States, as well as in the Abia area. In an extraordinary cabinet meeting last week, South Sudan's cabinet decided to transfer the resolution of the conflict in Upper Nile to the presidency, saying the conflict is complex and should be handled by the national government. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. Military officials in South Sudan are now blaming floods in parts of the country for delays in the graduation, for delays in graduating and deploying the unified forces in cantonment sites in Upper Nile and Unity States. South Sudan was expected to graduate 83,000 unified forces by September 30th to take charge of security before the mandate of the transitional government ends in February 2025. For VOA News, Sheila Pony reports from northern Bahr el-Ghazal state. According to the revitalized peace agreement, South Sudan is expected to graduate a total of 83,000 necessary unified forces to take change of security during recently extended transitional period that now expires in February 2025. A little more than 21,000 out of the 83,000 unified forces graduated in Juba on August 30th. But military officials say logistical challenges, mostly caused by this year's flooding, continue to delay the graduation of additional forces and the deployment of those already graduated. Under the roadmap for implementing the 2018 peace deal, the deployment of forces was supposed to take place immediately after graduation. South Sudan People's Defense Force spokesperson Major General Lurai Kong says flooding has prevented the Joint Defense Board from providing supplies at training centers in preparation for graduation and deployment of the forces in Upper Nile and Unity State. We have uniform ready for the army. As soon as uh, the missing items are delivered, then they'll be graduated. In Upper Nile, around two areas were affected by floods. The ones at uh, Topogay and Lelo were transported to Malakal. Mom had been affected by floods. 
as well as Kaljak. Arrangements to graduate unified forces at the Kaljak Training Center ground to held after a boat carrying uniforms for the forces capsized. Colonel Lampol Gabriel, spokesperson of the South Sudan People's Liberation Army in opposition or SPLMIO, says no new dates have been scheduled for graduating the forces. Uh, with Kaljak in Bentiu, uh, their uniform uh, got capsized with the boat uh, that uh, uh, disappeared around uh, ad hoc uh, port. So it is a very big challenge. It has brought us back to a square one uh, because we are still going to wait for the informal organized forces in Kaljak so that uh, we are able to send to them. Uh, so the date for Malakal is not yet being put. The same with uh, Bargazal. Uh, so, but we just hope that uh, within uh, this coming month, uh, we'll be able to complete the graduation of uh, the remaining forces. Colonel Gabriel confirms accessibility to the Upper Nile region is extremely difficult and that the deployment of forces is on hold. Up to now, the forces have not yet received their own weapons from uh, the government. So we're still waiting as well uh, whether they're going to be given weapons or not. Uh, also, the issue of funding, you know, these forces have been in the training center for a very long time. They're supposed to get some uh, basic services uh, from the government, like money needs to be given to them. They are supposed to receive their salaries, but nothing has been mentioned yet about their salaries up to today. Those are some of the challenges that we are really seeing and we know it's going to cause for us problems. But hopefully... We believe that things will move on very well, even if at a slow pace. General Kong says the government has yet to procure uniforms for the National Police Service, the Civil Defense, the Correctional Service and the Wildlife. The leadership is working on uh, on that issue of uh, resupplying the forces with uniforms. Uh, in terms of uh, deployment, the JDB is yet to come up with... Uh, to disclose rather the deployment or deployment strategy. A proposed draft has been drawn up and they will deliberate on it. We are deploying the necessary unified forces in our Bay Area in general, but not within our Bay Box. We are lifting forces to our goal and uh, the force that are being uh, lifted will be redeployed at the designated areas. According to the new roadmap for implementing the peace agreement, the necessary unified forces were supposed to be transferred from the training centers to their duty stations. For VOA News, I am Sheila Oponi in Awil, Northern Bahar El Ghazal State. From northern Bahar al-Ghazal, we go to South Africa, where talks aimed at ending war in Ethiopia's Tigray region started yesterday in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, and are expected to end Sunday. But analysts say peace still remains a long way off. Conflict between the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, and an alliance of Ethiopian government and Eritrean troops has left thousands and millions displaced. For VOA News, Darren Taylor reports from Johannesburg. 
Crisis Group analyst William Davison says Eritrea could be a significant spoiler of the negotiations brokered by the African Union over the next few days, even though it isn't at the talks. The ill-feeling, which some observers call hatred between Tigrayans and Eritreans, stretches back decades. In the 1990s, Eritrea and Ethiopia, then led by the TPLF, fought a bitter and bloody war. Davison says Eritrea's involvement in the Tigray conflict makes peace much harder to achieve. Even if these peace talks go incredibly well, we see a cessation of hostilities, resumption of aid and the lifting of a blockade on Tigray and then political negotiations. There is no guarantee at all that Eritrea will welcome that. There's been no signs that Eritrea wants to see a negotiated settlement. He says Eritrea is deadly serious about the conflict. President Azayas Afawaki has sent thousands of troops and tons of arms and ammunition into the region. Generally, the understanding is that the Eritrean objective is the complete eradication of Tigray's ruling party, the TPLF, and everything it stands for in terms of Tigray's autonomy and strength, because they see a powerful Tigray as a regional rival. Davison says at the moment, the TPLF and Eritrea are locked in a zero-sum fight to the last bullet. Tigray itself, and this is one of the things that has developed during the war, making the situation that much more difficult, Tigray has now developed a very large fighting force of its own, possibly numbering in hundreds of thousands of troops. And because of the animosity between the Eritrean and Tigray leadership and their history, the Eritrean government now sees that Tigray force as something of an existential threat as well. He says the AU, European Union and United States have struggled so far to influence what's happening in Tigray. But he adds they've done well to make the talks happen and they should continue diplomatic pressure for a truce. But if the parties continue to try and find a military solution to this conflict, then really we should see firmer action from the African Union, but also from the US and other actors in terms of making it absolutely clear to the federal and Eritrean governments, also the Tigray leadership, and that they will face consequences if they do not try and find a negotiated settlement to this war. Horn of Africa director at Human Rights Watch, Letitia Bada, says Tigrayans continue to suffer even while the talks unfold in Pretoria. The Ethiopian federal government offensive with Eritrean government forces has involved heavy shelling, including the use of drones in urban areas, which have resulted in civilian casualties. We know that countless civilians have once again been displaced. Now, there is currently absolutely no humanitarian access into Tigray. We also know that Tigrayan forces moved into the Amhara region to certain towns there, and we were receiving reports of looting and extrajudicial executions by Tigrayan forces against the Amhara civilian population there. So this is really a conflict. Bada says she'll consider the talks fruitful if the opponents commit to not directly targeting civilians. She also wants Addis's representatives to agree to restore basic services, including internet and cell phone networks in Tigray, and for all sides to pledge to immediately allow humanitarian aid into the region. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, millions of people are facing drought in Kenya. Find out why after the break. 
do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. Do you know any first aid techniques? Come to think of this question, I thought I do, but seriously, I think I may not be able to, to do too well if there is any situation present. Maybe it's something I need to go in and learn how to do. It could help somebody tomorrow. During our school days, the Red Cross Society, the clubs that we joined, they taught us a lot. When a child runs high temperature, you sponge the child with water from the leg to the head. Then you just rush the person to the hospital for best treatment. In case if you have drawn, if you have drawn maybe from water, the first aid technique that is available to be given is a kiss of life uh, to a person that has drawn into water. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Officials from Sudan and South Sudan have agreed to focus on the final status of the disputed ABA region. Sudan's Deputy Head of Sovereign Council, Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, and President, and President Kir's Security Advisor, Tutkeu Galwak, signed a document to ensure peace, security, and the delivery of humanitarian services to the people of Abia. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Addressing the media shortly after a signing ceremony in Khartoum Monday evening, Ambassador Dafal al-Hajj Ali, Undersecretary of the Sudan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, said the two sides agreed to enhance joint cooperation and address outstanding issues on the final status of ABA. Ambassador al-Hajj says... The two parties agreed on ways to strengthen bilateral ties and develop ways to serve the interests of both Sudan and South Sudan, including efforts to establish peace and stability as well as sustainable development in ABA. The parties resolved to jointly expedite provision of services to the citizens of ABA and activate joint mechanisms to provide the necessary humanitarian services and create an appropriate environment for the communities in the region. The two sides agreed to encourage social peace and community dialogue among different communities in Abyei as a gesture of trust building. Speaking at the same press briefing, Luca Biong, a member of the South Sudan delegation, said the two parties agreed to develop a roadmap to find effective solutions for resolving problems in Abyei. Biong, who hails from the region, reiterated the need for services in ABA, including security, so that citizens of ABA can voluntarily return to the area. The final status of the ABA region depends primarily on the previous references and agreements, and this is very important as we are looking for a final resolution for the area. As the two countries are looking for a final resolution for the status of the region, services and security should be provided in the area. Biong says he hopes ABA becomes a link that strengthens ties between the Sudan and South Sudan's government and local border communities. Some Ngokdinka community members say they welcome the decision to reactivate cooperation over provision of services to the area. Yusuf Malog, who heads the ABA civil society group in Khartoum, says people of ABA have suffered for a long time and it is a high time that the two countries resolve the final status of the area. 
The situation on the ground in Abyei is unbearable and which needs an urgent intervention from the leadership of the two countries for the provision of security and stability and to pursue a clear vision after this long waiting period. Malok says some local leaders should be appointed to the committee so that they can express the opinion of the civil population. Repeated calls to one of the Messiria elders, Mukhtar Babo Nimir, for comment were unsuccessful. Since the secession of southern Sudan from Sudan in 2011, both countries have claimed ownership of the border area of Abyei. The region is mostly inhabited by members of the South Sudan Dinkangok, but it is also the seasonal home of the Sudanese Messiria Arab nomadic tribe. The UN Security Council established a special peacekeeping force in the area known as UNISFA in 2011, saying it was deeply concerned by violence, escalating tensions and population displacement in the area. UNISFA monitors the border area and facilitates the delivery of humanitarian aid. The operation is also authorized to use force in protecting civilians and humanitarian workers in ABA. For VOA News, I am Michael Atid in Khartoum. The U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is holding its first Africa Digital Innovation Competition for Africa Startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the Africa Business Center on the initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in Africa, 10 finalists have been selected. We'll bring you a look at each one. Today, we look at Frank Nana Adai from Ghana. His company, SOPA, is a business-to-business e-commerce system that provides financial services to small informal grocery shops. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big Business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West, and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Fangana Ade, 29 years of age. I'm currently one of the co-founders and CEO of Shopper, a B2B e-commerce business here in Africa. Part of the reason why we applied to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, African Business Unit is for us to get the needed support and the needed resources we need to be able to digitize the informal retail space here in Africa. Being part of the top 10 is the validation that we need. It gives us the confidence to be able to convince ourselves that we are actually onto something big and we can't wait to be able to see the change we want to see in the industry. Shopper is digitizing the informal retail space here in Africa by connecting manufacturers of fast-moving consumer goods to informal retailers through our micro-distribution centers. So Shopper's platform allows these retailers to be able to, one, source inventory directly from manufacturers or suppliers through our micro-distribution centers and have it delivered to their shop within four hours. 
You also get to access credit facility on our platform in a form of working capital financing to be able to grow their business and also other financial services such as insurance. An example would be when we launched our business in 2020, uh, one retailer, prior to the introduction of our credit, used to place an order on average between $11 on a weekly basis. But after we introduced our credits over time, she's been able to move from $11 on a weekly basis to now $150 in terms of other size. Now, this is the growth we want to see on the lives of these informal retailers by moving from a small shop to a medium shop. Winning this challenge is going to be a game changer for us because we are going to have access to the right resources, the right mentorship, and the right partners to be able to grow our business. Winning this challenge is going to ensure that we have enough resources to be able to escalate the credit offering and also be able to escalate our credit offerings by expanding to new areas and also tapping into the expertise the U.S. Chamber of Commerce would make available to us for us to be able to build the solution we want to build. That was Frank Nana Adai from Ghana, who owns the company Shopper, a business-to-business e-commerce system that provides financial services to small informal grocery shops. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, U.S. Africa Business Center. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this program, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Look Clearly by the Freedom Boys. <laughs>
To the Freedom Boys and the song Lukulili. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South.